Welcome to Real Life at the Ridge, the preaching ministry of Chestnut Ridge Church. John chapter 17, I want to read a, read a few verses here, and then uh, we'll dive in and start breaking some things apart, uh, looking at a few other verses of Scripture. Um, as I said, I, I may put a few things on the board. I, I don't know exactly how much tonight. But let, let me go ahead in John chapter 17, and I'm going to start with verse 13 and go to verse 19. Jesus is praying here for His disciples, the ones that are intimately around Him, and then also the ones that would believe in Him as they, down the road. And so that includes us. Um, and so as He's praying, listen to what He says, uh, verses 13 through 19. He says, But now I come to you, these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, and they also, that they also may be sanctified by the tr truth. I want to talk to you just a little bit to start with, just simply about truth. Um, our, our world uh, today is no different than any other time, except that it might be just a little more, well, in our lifetimes, they, th there's probably a little less respect for God's Word being truth and Him being the Creator and sustainer of it all and being the, a righteous judge and the uh, sovereign God. Because even there were even people who helped found our country that they were not what you would call practicing Christians. But yet they had a respect for a sovereign creator, a, an authority over it all. They didn't just think that everything just happened. And they realized that there was a truth, a moral compass that was given. And they respected that. Um, and it seems that that's d decaying now. Um, it has a, a good bit. But there are some truths that we are governed by. Now there's some truths that we're governed by that you'll get the result out of really quick. And so in, in, in the world that we live in, if you go up to the top of a 30-story building and you jump off of that building, what's going to happen? You's dead. Right? 
Well, you've, you'll have 30 stories worth of time to contemplate what you did, but by the time you get to the bottom floor, it's over. And there is a rule that you're not going to be able to get past. Gravity will get you, right? And you're going to be responsible for that by the time you get to the bottom. So when you make that uh, leap, if you do make that leap, then you will answer to that leap. And you're not going to get out of that, right? That's pretty much a given. But then there are things in the Christian life that we look at and we say, or in just life in general, and we say, well, why is it that people are getting away with things that they're getting away with, but yet there's no accountability to it? It's almost like God has put a deaf ear to it. You know, because He's got His... Stent, his, his righteous law, he, he's got his requirements, he's got uh, things that you're going to be held accountable to, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people are being held accountable, right? It's like, where is God at in the middle of all this? I mean, how, how is all this working out? Well, we know biblically that there is coming a day when things are going to be accounted for. As a matter of fact, as a Christian, we actually thank God for His being slow to anger, his patience and his long suffering, because were it not for the grace that is found in the long suffering of Christ, you and I w- would not be here. You know, if God just, you know, was to judge everyone as soon as they uh, hit this world, then what would we do? That's no different than if you flip over to uh, Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, the psalmist kind of feels the same way. In Psalm 73, it starts out and says in verse 1, Truly my God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in the heart. He says, but, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful, boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now just listen to these words. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pains in their death. In other words, they're not suffering, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely, he says, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Now, kind of sum that up and let's think about those thoughts just a moment. And he says, everywhere I look it seems like the people that are doing wrong, they're doing fine. And he says, I just, it almost drives me crazy to think about it. Matter of fact, he says, have I cleansed my hands in vain? Have I, have I purified my heart in vain? Have I, in other words, is it in vain that I'm serving God? I mean, what's it worth? Because he says, it seems like I'm chastised every time I turn around, but they get to do whatever they want to and don't seem like God cares. I mean, you can kind of hear his heart in this. 
And, and for the Christian, if you are a child of God, because we're going to talk about truth tonight, once again, and about the gospel. But if you're a child of God, this right here deals with you, and it deals with me, His Word. Truth does. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, if you're not chastened, you don't belong to Him. So all those who He loves that belong to Him, they are chastened. In other words, we're corrected, and here we are getting corrected, trying to serve the Lord, and it seems like everybody else is getting by with it. Then you read on a little bit. Verse 15, if I had said this, uh, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. So it's almost as if everything that he said thus far is like typing out the email but not hitting send, right? It's almost like typing the text message out or something and not hitting send. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, praise the Lord for that moment, you know? That, that little moment of wisdom, or at least the, the restraint to just say, I'm glad I didn't do that. Now, I've hit some by accident before, but especially on a phone, you know. But he says, I'm glad that I didn't do that. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And he goes on to talk about the fact that surely they've got a horrible thing coming to them. And that's where we are to be as Christians. Looking at the rest of the world, the, the lost, realizing first off that you and I were children of disobedience ourselves. If you're saved today, there was a time when you were not saved. You could be in the same situation as somebody that's not saved. And so you look, and our hearts as Christians should not be looking down the nose on other people. We should be, as I've said before, one beggar trying to show another beggar where to get the bread from. It should be the sense that, that we, we look and we go, it's not a good end for them. It would not be a good end for us were it not for the grace of God. So, and, and, and see, it's truth that brought him to that realization. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. In other words, until I got close to God, to who He is, His truth. And so that's kind of what I want to talk to you tonight about a little bit, is I want to go back and I want to look at a couple of verses in John chapter 17. We're going to look at a few others here in a moment. But I want you to catch in John chapter 17, listen to what He says. Verse 13 once again, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. As Christians, you know, we, we wonder sometimes, is there joy in serving Jesus? He says, I have given them your word. That is something worth marking down, underlining, circling, however you want to do it. He says, I have given them your word. Then he says, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And he's going to tell you why in just a moment when we read another verse or two. But see, he does, he's not wanting us to be finished just yet. He wants to send us out into the world. And so he says, I don't want you to take them out of the world. I want you to keep them from the evil one. Lord, Father, would you keep them? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. 
And he tells us what truth is. Your word is truth. Now that's what the Bible says. You ever wonder what truth is? Just as Pilate asked Jesus what is truth, his word is truth. So in, in, in a, a little bit of a sense, just like we know that gravity is a truth that we live with. If you leap out, you and I cannot fly. You will go to the ground. As a matter of fact, every day of my life as I get older, and every, time, every, every day I'm not losing weight, I realize that gravity is gaining hold. I'm getting weaker. Gravity is not getting any weaker. It's maintaining. But God's Word is not growing weak either. God's Word is more true than gravity. Because as a matter of fact, God can defy gravity. And, and so God's Word being true, He says, I want you to sanctify them, Father, by truth. Your Word is truth. And that sanctify means to set apart. Now, here's, here's something to think about. If you go back to verse 3, chapter 17, he says, um, as he says in verse 17, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So this is eternal life that they may know you, know him, the Father, that we might know him. It's, and I'm not a, I am not a Greek scholar. I am not a Hebrew scholar by any means. I only know a few words and I'm, my, my, uh, my portfolio, I guess, is growing a little bit along. But this is a word I've been around for a while. To know him in this verse it is the Greek word gnosko. It is an experiential type knowledge. It is a knowledge to where you learn as you go kind of thing. It's not, it, 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 is a, it is an examination type word that we, and it's an intimate word. And as a matter of fact, I'll do a little scan here online. Y'all are on your own. But uh, it is also used of the relationship between a man and a woman, the intimacy. So he says, this is eternal life that you might intimately gain knowledge of him. That's what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is not about ecstatic experiences. It is not about a bunch of hype because that deals with our feelings. That does not mean that our feelings are not important. God made us with feelings. But our feelings and our wishes and our desires all have to be governed up under His Word. Truth. Everything comes up under the, the, the governing of His Word. When people start talking about things that God has given them some word or something, you best go back to your Bible. God has spoken something to them so that they can speak it to you. You best go back to your Bible. Because I can promise you this. When God signed the end of this book, He had said everything He needed to say to mankind. This is a closed canon is what we call it. Everything, the Bible even declares that everything that pertains to life and godliness is right here. And see, sometimes that's not enough for us because we, we don't like this. 
That's one of my questions. I don't want to. I don't want to mess with you much, but. Everything has to be governed by this. So if somebody declares something, it has to square with this. And if it don't square with this, then you are to exit out. As a matter of fact, Paul said, if any man preach another gospel to you, he is to be accursed. And see, that's where we've gotten things mixed up. They say, well, we're not talking about the gospel. If you're talking about this book, you're talking about the gospel. This is the gospel. This book is about Jesus Christ Everywhere, and Charles Spurgeon said that anywhere you jump into this book, you can make you a crimson, there's a crimson thread that follows all the way to the cross. And it's the truth. In the Old Testament, all of the things in the Old Testament speak of Jesus Christ and His coming. So this book, our author, He has finished it. There are no new revelations. God never told us there was going to be new revelations. This is it. People don't like to hear that. And you don't have to believe that way. As a matter of fact, I want to I help you with something. You don't even have to believe that way for me to pastor you. You don't. You don't have to believe in eternal security for me to pastor you. I like what John MacArthur says, if God will let you into heaven, how can I keep you out of the church? And everybody's at a different place. That doesn't mean that I'm at a better, I'm, I'm over anybody. That doesn't mean that I'm further along than everybody in the church building. We're all on our journey along through there. But we've got things that we're going to teach. I believe what we're going to teach. But ultimately at the end of the day, this is what we're going to teach. And so as we make our journey along, God is sanctifying us. God is causing us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal, right? So, to learn to know that intimate knowledge, and it doesn't happen mystically, okay? I just want you to understand that. I, you can't come down here and me impart some, all this wisdom of the Bible to you by laying my hands on your head and praying some prayer and shaking you or something. I, I, I can't do it. But the Bible does tell us how to get it. The Bible tells us how we're going to get that. And, and I'm, well, it's through His Word. Now, here's a question for us. Do we like the God that we learn about? I think that's a good question. Because see, some of the things that I said just now, some people would have a problem with. That if, that, in other words, to, to know God, you've got to study His Bible. That's the starting place. That doesn't mean that we don't take His Word and use it. Faith without works is dead. I think even in that thought that I've said it before, to study about what love is in the Bible. Even the agape love that Christ gave to us on the cross of Calvary. To just sit here and learn about that, but to never go actually love somebody, you've not finished His teaching of what that is like. We can have all the head knowledge we want to, but until we live it out, because it's a lot easier to say I love somebody than it is to live out it, that I love somebody. Can I get a witness? I mean, that's it, a whole other world. Oh, I love you. Do you really? Show me you love me. And, and so that's, a, that, that's something that, you know, we learn about the love of God, then we live out the love of God, and in all of that we are growing and knowing more about Him. Alright, so here's what I want to do. Um, go back to that question just for a moment. 
do we, do we like the God that we learn about? In other words, when we come to know God, because here's, here's some things that I'm going to throw out at you. Do, do you like the fact that God actually wiped out lots of people because they were disobedient to Him? Because He did it in the book. He opened up the ground and swallowed hundreds of people because they were idol worshipers. I had a thought very early this morning. I had a lot of thoughts this morning. I should have wrote down a lot of this stuff because I got to church this morning and I was like, good grief. Can't even remember any of it hardly. And then it started coming back a little bit of time, but I still ain't got all, all of it back. But that's okay. I was having a good, I was uh, very, very, very early this morning. Uh, started maybe around 3, 34 o'clock. Read a little bit. Snooze a little bit, read a little more. I was having my phone close by. I was looking up a few words. But this thought come across my heart. I just wonder what God thinks when He looks down at the earth. And we, and, and we see all of these big coliseums built. And hundreds of, well, millions of people, but let's say 40,000 here, 80,000 there, 100,000 here. 60,000 there and 30, all over this country in these great big places worshiping a team. My mind went to what, what was it like in ancient Greece when these things were happening, man. And you're sitting here and there's all these temples to these gods. You say, preacher, it's not the same thing. I can just tell you this, contextually within the Bible, anything that takes you away from worshiping Him is an idol. You can call it whatever you want to. When I figured out that a car would not last, I quit worshiping them. Because now I just wish I could get one to just last. You know, best kind of car is what kind of car? He's got it right here. Paid for. That's the best kind of car. A paid for car. Um, you never get them paid for. By the time you get them paid for, then you got to keep maintenance up on them and stuff. But, but anyhow, regardless of all that, but I'm not trying to go off on a kick against sports and all that, but do you, get, you get my drift? You've got places that are teaching this book, and there's not... 30,000 and 80,000 people swarming to all those places. What if God opened up the earth right now and just swallowed every one of them? Full of people. Would you like that God? Would you like that God if some of your relatives were in there? You know, it's hard stuff to think about. That the enemies of God's people, he, he, he decimated them. I mean, just in some occasions, I mean, angels came and just wiped them out. They didn't even touch them themselves. Sometimes he sent his people into places and they took them out. Only reason I say that is because you can't have... God in bits and pieces. You've either got to take him, from, because, because here, here, think about this. 
And I've said this before, but we, we just don't think about these things. And people don't say these things a lot that I know of. They don't say these things a lot and cause us to think, because I'm not trying to run you away from God, but here's the thing. If you are not worshiping the God of this book, where am I going to run you to? Who am I running you away from? You've got to know Him. And, and so one day, let's say that, uh, what's the population of the earth now? Six or seven billion? Or what is it? Anybody know? Somebody can Google it right quick. I'm sure. Google knows everything, right? I might be off. But let's say he, let's say he comes back, right? Let's say he takes his church home, he returns, and he's going to, here we come with him, right? That's what the Bible says is going to happen, right? We're coming back with him. And we're just going to be spectators. Has anybody got the answer yet? 7.6 billion. Okay. Now let's say, let's just even go this far. Let's say half. 7.6, three and a half with three more, 3.9 billion people. Am I right? Pretty close. Close enough. Let's say 3.9 billion people are raptured out of here. Doubt that's going to happen. I doubt there's that many saved people in the world. But if he came back right now, that means that there's 3.9 left. Right? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to get real, real serious with you. Even those that are in the womb. Because we all holler about, come on Jesus, take us home. But you realize what's going to happen when he does, right? You realize what comes after all that. That at some point in time, there is going to be a mass slaughter. And ain't none of them going to make it. And that's the God of this book. Says that when He comes, He's going to devour them, and He's going to leave their bodies for the birds to pick over. That's what it says in the book. Out of his mouth proceeds a sharp two-edged sword. With it he will devour the nations. That's strong. That, I mean, that's, that's hard stuff to think. But that's the God of this. That's the same God that died on Calvary's cross. Amen? That's the same God that, that healed a leper and, and, and came to the, uh, down in the sand with the prostitute, writing on the ground, running off our accusers. He's that same God. Here's a question for us. As a Christian, is my heart redeemed? Is my heart righteous? Is my heart holy? It's a big question. Because see here, watch what happens. We get saved, right? I'm just going to use this. Uh, so this is, we get saved. And so now we are uh, uh, justified. That's, that's my word. So right here, we're justified. That means that when God looks at us, our account is settled with Him. Jesus Christ, His righteousness is placed upon us. When He looks at us, 
the debt that we owe, the, 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 the war that was between us and God is settled. And, and everybody that's saved in here today, you need to hear that. You don't work for nothing beyond that for your salvation. You are saved. In other words, that is a, that is a finished word. Why? Because Jesus finished it on Calvary's cross. So when he declares that day that you are justified before God, you didn't do any of it, and I didn't do any of it. Christ did it all. So now we're saved. And then all the way down here, whenever that is, then we are uh, glorified. When is that? When are we, we going to be glorified? Heaven. Heaven. Right? Heaven. That means at that point in time, you and I will be perfected. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more, uh, all the former things pass away, no more misunderstandings. Come on, that's where we shout, right? Come on. I mean, that's right. No more cancer. Can I get a witness? Yeah, no, no more lies, no more thieving, no more nothing. We, we now see him face to face, and the Bible says, and we shall be like him. That's here. But what about here? We're in the process of sanctification right now. Sanctification is not where I work my way to heaven. Jesus Christ already got me to heaven. He's already settled the war with God. But now I serve him. I am becoming more and more like Christ. How am I becoming more and more like Christ? Through his word. Father, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. We'll look at that a little bit more. But in this, I've got a heart. The Bible tells me that before Christ, for sure, we, we know without a doubt, my heart is wicked. Uh, yours are yours were too. I just want to let you know. Man's heart, out of his heart. Nothing good comes. Desperately wicked, deceitful, above everything, filthy rags, all that. But what about in Christ? Well, that's when it gets tricky. I'm justified, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. And I know uh, Ezekiel 36, God takes the heart of stone out, puts in a heart of flesh, and, all, and He washes us with clean water. I think that this is almost like this. in process. We're being sanctified. That means that am I the same as I used to be? No. Am I what I'm going to be? No. And what's taking place here? We are becoming more and more like who? Christ. How are we becoming more and more like Christ? Yep, see if we can draw a Bible here. Through His Word. Now, let's take a little bit and we'll go back into the Scripture for just a moment. John 8. John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. He says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him. Right? 
If you abide in my what? Word. So you, you abide in this word, he says, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the what? Truth. And the truth shall set you free. What does it mean that the truth sets me free? Well, see, the truth starts working on, I'm going to draw a little bit bigger one. And, and, and let's just say that this is the darkness of my human heart. If I am his disciple indeed, I'm going to keep stepping side to side. As I learn the truth, Spirit of the living God living inside of me, he says, matter of fact, he says in Psalm, to hide his word in your heart that you what? Might not sin against him. So the more I study his word, the more I find out who I am, the more I find out how wrong it is for me to do some of the things against the holiness of God that I do, the Spirit convicts me, and as I learn, and as I grow, and as he does this, then, then the Spirit of God is cleaning up my heart that I might not sin against him. In other words, if you are sinning more today than you did the day that you got saved, something's wrong. It should be the opposite, shouldn't it? And how does that happen? Through His Word. I'm just reading the Bible to you is all I'm doing. The, we'll be free, preacher! But why is it if you claim to be free, you're out here living more hell now than you was before you got saved? Or as much? See, there's something that's got to happen here. We'll never... This side of heaven, it's never going to all be gone. Because if it was, it wouldn't be no need for this. He shall wipe away all tears from your eyes. There shall be neither no more sorrow, no more death, no more... All those things, and this is what some folks don't want to hear. Everything that you're dealing with on this earth is because of sin. The reason that the potential of that baby having to have surgery or get on some different medicine and all that stuff is because of sin. You say, wait a minute, preacher, that's a little baby. I didn't say that the baby committed to sin. I'm just telling you, we are in a cursed world. And because we're in a cursed world, we suffer. We suffer. That's one reason I have, you know, it's like, we can't get thing, roles mixed up because God said He made man and He made woman. When He kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, He cursed both of them, right? He cursed the man with what? That he would toil by the what? Sweat of his brow. Hard labor. Can I get a witness? Ladies, He said that y'all would bear pain in what? Childbirth. In this fancy world that we're living in, everybody's wanting to flip something upside down, but you ain't going to flip that one. Can I get a witness? Because Tim and Jim don't make no baby. So, God's working this out in us. And one day, all of the effects, the childbirth, pain is going to be gone. And, and, and not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday, we're going to have us a hoot nanny up in here. Because I'm going to talk about some of this. Because we ain't going to talk about some of it and not get, get, get the 
you know, to the Tootsie Riddle Center of the Tootsie Pop. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Three licks. My foot. Some of y'all will get that. Some of y'all are old enough that you can get that. <laughs> so, but while I'm going along my way, God is sanctifying. Jesus prayed that, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And he says there, if, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, which is the word, and the truth shall set you free. Free from this mess. Free from all this. It breaks my heart to watch people I, 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 at funerals. It, to do a funeral of somebody that's lost and to watch and look out in the I can look out in the congregation at a funeral whether it be at a funeral home or whether it be at the church building and not saying I know all of them but I look out there and as I share the gospel because I'm just going to tell you right now if you don't want me to share the gospel don't ask me to do your funeral because I can't do nothing for you but I can do something for them and I'm telling you right now and I tell people you know, hey, could, could you preach? Don't know me. Want me to, would you do the funeral for my mom or for my, as long as you're good with me sharing the gospel? Because when I get up there, I'm going to say what I got to say. Because when I look out there and the people that are saved by the amazing grace of God, they're about to come up out of the pews shouting. And then there are those that are crying their eyes out because of drugs and because of broken relationships and because of all these other things that have torn their life all to hell. And they're just torn to pieces. And I sit there and I go, my heart's tore up because if they don't get saved, guess what? They're going to be part of that group. And we shouldn't be happy about that. That should tear us to pieces because you remember something you didn't have no birthright to that you didn't get that because of the color of your skin you didn't get that because of the house you was raised in you didn't get that because of the money that you make you didn't get it because of how smart you were if you're saved today you're saved by the grace of almighty God and we didn't deserve it and if that does not bother you that other people around you are dying and they'll spend eternity in hell. Something's wrong. Something's bad wrong. So you and I, are, we're working our way. Not to heaven, along the path. One day, see that's why he says that when he comes back, to make sure that your lamp is lit, right? Make sure that there's some oil in, in the lamp. It's trimmed. That you're ready for him to come back. That his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That you and I, when he comes back, we are to be found obedient to this, studying this. And you are not, you, you have not graduated. And I hadn't either. You're, you're not some valedictorian of the class just because you taught Sunday school for 30 years or whatever it was or because you read your Bible from front to back two times a year for the last 30 years. It don't mean that you know everything about this book. This book is living, 
powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Every day of your life this book gets into you. Every day of this, your life this book should be teaching you, and guiding you, and changing you. You've not arrived. Paul said that of himself. He said, I've not arrived. He said, but one thing, I press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus. And so, look at John chapter 8 once again right here. I just want to show you. In John 17, 3, that we might know Him, Gnosko. And John chapter 8, 31, let's see, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, same Greek word. And you shall intimately, experientially know the truth, and then the truth shall make you free. And it will, it will constantly free you from sin. So, now, how does, we know this, and then we know this, how is that working out? Well, without going into... Um, See if I can just catch this. That Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And everybody, we've heard this verse so much. How? By the what? Renewing of your mind. That you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when we study God's Word, God's Word renews our mind. And our mind controls the actions of our heart. That, that we have to get this into here. And we do that through studying. See, I, and I understand that people have problems studying. I get that. But I want you to hear my heart. Your pastor struggles, I'll promise you that. When I, when I got to Fruitland, and I'm not bragging on me, I'm bragging on God. I took a reading test. That was the most embarrassing thing. Me and several, a lot of us. I've come to find out I'm reading on about a fourth grade reading level. I'm like, this ain't fair. How did I get out of school and I'm reading on a fourth grade reading level? And then as we progressed along, I go, you know what? I think they actually gave me a, bit, a little bit of grace on that test. Because I'm struggling here. I thought I knew a few things about English. Y'all think I'm bad now? <laughs> Our English teacher, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, the one that finished us up in the 400s at, uh, at Fruitland because we had multiples. Every, every uh, 100, 200, 300, 400. Well, 400 with Paul Soros. Some of y'all know Paul Soros. He was an English guy at Gardner-Webb University at one time. We introduced ourselves in the class, went around, hey, tell, you know, tell your name, tell who you are, where you're from, all this stuff. Got down to me and Frank Stanley, and we introduced ourselves, and he goes, slapped himself on the forehead, said, I don't think I got enough time. And all I did was introduce myself. That was, that was it. <laughs> he says, good Lord, I don't think I got enough time. I'm dyslexic. I'm bad. I'll move words, not just letters. I say, I will. My, there will be words. And some of y'all have been around here long enough, you'll know it. You, if you think about it, you know it. I'll laugh at myself, but won't laugh out 
for y'all to know it, I'll just be like, <laughs> let me reread that. <laughs> sometimes it's worse than others, sometimes it's not. But here's what I want you to hear. Don't think that you can just go out here and serve God and that take the place of knowing God. This is important. Because a lot of our church experience and a lot of our church there, there, and I'm not pointing fingers at us. I'm talking about as the church worldwide, the body of Christ worldwide, there is a huge illiteracy problem. There, there is an ignorance problem. And I want you to hear my heart. I, ignorance, I come to find out, ignorance is not really that uh, horrible word. That is, just means you don't know. Stupidity is knowing and not doing what you need to do, but doing the same. You know, then we have chaos. Which is, anyhow. So, how did that come to be? We put more emphasis, that doesn't mean we shouldn't serve him. But we, we let folks escape out to just serve, but not study. Now, I know you don't get everything from in here on Sunday morning and Wednesday, Wednesday night. I, I get that. But we also make it a point here now that if you're going to serve somewhere... And it's tough. Hey, I want to serve. That's why there's a rotating schedule. Because if not, then somebody ends up getting stuck into the nursery or preschool or Sunday school class or the youth ministry somewhere, and they don't come up to be fed. They don't get challenged like this. And then what happens is they grow spiritually, they, they regress. And the next thing you know, when something, something happens and they need the spiritual maturity to get through something, they get eat alive. That is not good shepherding. You know, some folks say, well, I'll be willing to serve. What service you go to? I go to the second service. Then you need to serve in the first service and go to the second service. Well, good Lord, you got to be, oh, wait a minute. Hey, we get here at, before it all starts and stay here until it's all over with. So you get paid... And this is, I get paid so that I can. I don't get paid to do it. I pay, get paid so that I can do it. Because if I didn't, then I got to go work a full-time job, and I couldn't be what I need to be for y'all. Amen? But everybody that comes in here on Sunday morning before the doors are open, they don't get paid. And they stay. And I'm not saying that that's what you should do. I'm just trying to tell you that we try to make sure that we craft things here to where now that we must, we need to disciple people to know the Word. That's why I'll be starting my Bible study classes back up here soon. And we'll be making opportunities for folks to come and study Bible. That don't mean you have to come to my Bible study. I'm just saying, but you need to be a student of the Word of God. Some people can handle that. Some people can do it on their own. Some people need the help. Some, one thing I try to do is I try to teach you how to be a student of the Word of God so that you can go feed yourself. That's one of the things I try to do. I change my tactics on Bible study. We just take a book of the Bible and we start going through it. And I show you what I, I would do if I'm studying the Bible. That way you got the tools. And there's a lot of people out here right now in this church, they know how to use Bible study tools now. And they can take Scripture and they study it. Have people come up and they said, hey, I looked this up and this is what it says. What, is, what are you talking about here? See, that's important. 
And he says, in, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 2, um, just for a second. And I'll be shutting her down here. In Philippians chapter 2, listen to, listen to the whole process. And see, it's all in, it's inundated. This Bible is inundated with this, these truths. I mean, you can go so many places and it's there. Listen to reading from verse 1 down. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, think about that. How are you and I going to be like-minded, of one accord and of one mind? It sure ain't going to be if you come be of my mind or me being of your mind. I've proven this so many times. That's why churches get in fights. Some want blue carpet, some want red carpet, some want yellow carpet, some want no, no carpet, some want pews, some want chairs, some want this. Some want the church turned this way, some want the church turned that way. Some, some, some people <laughs> prefer 70 degrees, some people prefer 68 degrees. Right? Some people want 76 degrees. I love you, but y'all wouldn't like me at 76 degrees. <laughs> My cellulite drips. <laughs> it, it oozes. Um, that's nasty. I'll, I'll hear about that later on tonight. I will. <laughs> I will get reprimanded for that one. But anyhow, but if we're going to have the same mind, we have to go after the truth. That's why, listen as he says, let nothing be done, verse 3, through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let e each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for also for the interest of others. Then he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's how we're of one mind. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of a, no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, given him a name above, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but, as, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And I'll just stop right there.
Everything that I talked about tonight, there it is. And see, that's why if you look and say, well, people don't want to come to church. First off, lost people ain't coming unless God draws them here. Just get that out there. You can invite them, but it will be a move of God that gets them here. Why? This ain't natural for them to come to church. Right? You come here, I believe, if you're saved, you come here because you love Him. But you didn't love Him until He loved you and that whole deal. But I want you to hear, hear my heart. He said that they might see the light. And he's talking about the light of the truth of God, the glory of Christ shining in you and in me. And that's not going to happen unless you're students of the truth. And it's easy. It's easy to, to make tradition, religion, and everything that we do, we have to be careful that we're all about the gospel because if we don't, we'll make what we're doing tradition. If it's not gospel, we'll make it tradition. Did you know that any songs that are new today will end up being traditional? Casey Kasem made a living off of it. Can I get a witness? Because whatever's number one on the charts today, will it be number one on the charts two years from now? It's rolling. It's the same thing. Frey Stanley and I were talking about the... I, ooh, I'll be careful that I say this because I'm on... Uh, there are some churches that worship certain things. You would think that they would be considered to be conservative. But the things that they worship are not in the book. They just worship conservatism. Legalism. And God hear my heart when I say this. I'll get beat up on this one, but that's okay. I can, I can, I can sit down and talk about this. Some people think that the King James Bible is the only Bible that there is out there. As a matter of fact, I even had somebody tell me in leadership in the church that I was at, told me that it was good enough for Paul and Silas, it was good enough for me. I'm like, that's the dumbest statement I believe I've ever heard in my life. Paul and Silas lived just after Jesus. I mean, they were living when Jesus was here, and you know, they were finishing up the writings themselves, and then you profess the 1611 King James Bible, and we're talking about the years 40 to about the year 70 A.D., Paul and Silas, and 1611, and they read the King James Bible. Boy, that's a miracle in the making right there. But that can be worshipped. Ain't nothing wrong with I'm not knocking, saying there's something wrong with the King James Bible. If you've got a King James Bible, read the sucker. Read it. Study it. But you see what I'm talking about? And they will fight you over that. You take somebody that comes in out of the world, found a Bible on the street, whatever translation it's in, come walking in, they will beat them out the door. That is not letting the light of Jesus Christ shine. And we can do that with anything. Thank you for listening today. 
Pastor Greg wants to share with you how the gospel changed his life and how it can change yours too. You know, Tim, it was the gospel that saved me. I'll never forget when Ray Elder came into my life, uh, God put him there and he shared the truth of the gospel with me that I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sins, and that if I would accept him as the Lord of my life and follow him, that he would change my life. And that's exactly what he's done. I wonder if that's something that you would like to do today, that you would today before God just admit, you know, God, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, and I need you. And God, I believe that Christ died on the cross for me, and I want to accept his payment today for, for my sins, and I want to live for him from this point forward. If you pray that prayer today, we want to welcome you into the family of God. We also want to encourage you to contact us. You'll find a link below where you can reach us. And so we look forward to hearing from you. so much that he gave his son for us. Amen. God bless you guys.